audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We are going to now focus on witnesses to the identity of Christ. As I just said earlier, in Western civilization, which took us out of the barbaric age, one of the glories of the West is that our legal system is based on what is called rule of law and due process. We don't just get judged by mob rule or the whim of some autocrat. We get judged in an impartial, well-organized legal system where you are presumed innocent until proven guilty and that you are entitled to due process. You can answer in your defense if you are being prosecuted. You also can bring credible witnesses, and they can establish your testimony, which will stand up in a court of law. It is a really wonderful system that has served us well, although, to be honest, it is being challenged in the current culture war, which has been going on for decades. Nevertheless, the principle holds true. Two or three witnesses is enough to establish a testimony. And this comes straight from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 19, 15, that two or three witnesses establish a testimony. Well, now Jesus is speaking, and he is going to establish his credentials. He's not going to merely witness about himself. He's going to bring in the credible, overwhelming, immutable witnesses. Now, remember that people may have loved Jesus, flocked to his ministry, sat and listened to his discourses, enjoyed the miraculous side of his service before God and man, in healing of the sick, raising of the dead, casting out devils, letting the oppressed go free. But despite all this, the multitudes still didn't understand Jesus' true identity. They thought he might be like John the Baptist, risen from the dead, Elijah, Elisha, or one of the prophets. Well, even today, there is some confusion on the identity of Jesus. Is he a Marxist liberationist? Is he, as it were, a person that does magic tricks? Is he a life improver? Is he just syrupy and sentimental, all love, no judgment? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Is he just merely a great moral teacher? Well, he never claimed to be any of those things. He claimed to be the son of David who is, of course, the heir to the throne, and he shall rule over the house of David forever. He is also the Son of God. He has a unique or singular identity. So how does he go about proving this identity? He doesn't say, just take my word for it. What you're going to hear him say is, I have witnesses. Not one, not two, not even three, but I'm going to present to you five overwhelming and credible witnesses. They will testify to who I am. So this lesson and the next lesson will be dealing with the five witnesses. In this lesson, we're dealing with the first three of the five, and they are found in John chapter 5, verses 31 to 38. Let me read to you just one verse, verse 36. It says, But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So what Jesus is saying is he's actually mentioning 
two witnesses already. One is John the Baptist. Everyone perceived and recognized and respected John as a prophet. But Jesus says, I have more than John's testimony. I have the witness of the works. In other words, the miracles that Jesus did. And we've learned that he's turned the water into wine. He's healed the nobleman's son. He also healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. These powerfully testify to who Jesus really is. It's time now to read the entire portion from John 5, verses 31 to 38. Our lesson is called Three of the Five Witnesses of Christ. The reference once again, John chapter 5, verses 31 to 30. Let's listen carefully to God's word. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me, and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Our reading is from John chapter 5, verses 31 to 38, and our lesson is called Three of the Five Witnesses of Christ. Friends, if we were in a court of law, would Jesus be convicted of being son of David, soon coming king, as well as son of God. And the evidence would convict him. That is, if it was a crime, or in this case, it is a virtue, a great virtue. What we're going to see is Jesus brings out these witnesses, and he's doing so in Jerusalem. Religious, hard-hearted, skeptical, elitist Jerusalem. The city of stone and, of course, as Zechariah predicts in chapter 12, verse 3, that Jerusalem will become the burdensome stone for all nations in the last days. Indeed, that is happening before our very eyes. Well, John five thirty-one, One witness is not enough. Jesus is continuing his discourse using the example or the testimony of five witnesses. First of all, he begins by saying that his own testimony of himself is not true. Of course, his words are truth. Again, let me reiterate. John chapter seventeen, seventeen, God's word is truth. That means Jesus' word is truth. But what he is trying to share is not that he personally is not telling the truth about his own identity. He is simply being faithful to the principle of Deuteronomy 19.15, which basically says, to establish a testimony, you need two or three witnesses. In this case, Jesus does more than enough, goes over and above the call of duty, and he is telling us 
that I'm going to give you not two or three witnesses. I'm giving you five witnesses. And it doesn't even stop with the five. Remember, the 12, or actually the 11, because Judas Iscariot will be dispatched by this point, 11 surviving apostles are going to witness Jesus, especially in his resurrected form, not to mention the faithful women. And as Paul records, there was up to 500 witnesses that saw Christ risen from the dead. So Jesus gives overwhelming proof of his Messiahship through wonderful, numerous, credible witnesses. It has been done, I believe, more than once, where a skeptic wants to go and disprove Christianity, and especially the resurrection of Christ. Because, friends, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there would be no Christianity. There would be no Christian faith. That It's a fact. Without the resurrection, there would be no church. And anyway, the skeptic goes out to disprove the Christian faith, looks at all the evidence from every angle, scrutinizing to the hilt, and amazingly... But not surprisingly, when you know God, the skeptic becomes a believer. The reason that skeptics change their mind and submit to the faith is because of the witnesses. They are immensely credible. When you see that, especially the apostles, willing to risk their lives and even give their lives for the veracity of Jesus' identity— his atoning death on the cross, and his glorious resurrection, people do not risk their lives for something they know to be a lie. They risk their lives for what they believe is true. And when you have enough people who can prove without a shadow of doubt the resurrection of Christ and the verification of his claims as well as his works, then you've got an established testimony that the Christian faith, based solidly on Scripture, is the faith that Jesus left us, and you can trust it, and your trust will not be misplaced. So Jesus says, I'm not going to witness of myself. I'm going to bring in the heavies, the big guns, and they are going to testify of me. So in John 5, verse 32, he brings up another witness. He says, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. He is so credible that everybody who knows of this witness will believe what he said. This person lived and died the truth and was respected accordingly. So who was that witness? Verse 33 of John 5. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. So who are we talking about here? John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to the scene. He was truly the forerunner of Jesus. He was the Elijah prophesied 400 years earlier by the prophet Malachi that before the dreadful and terrible and great coming of the day of the Lord, Elijah would come, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. He is the first established witness. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. So what is he actually saying here? He's saying that 
Jesus knows the truth, and he does not need the testimony of mere human witnesses. However, for the sake of those listening to him, he presents these human witnesses. The reason is that these, the listeners of Christ, might be saved. The witnesses are for our sake and not just for his immediate audience. In other words, the witness of John the Baptist, which is recorded in the Gospels, is for the sake of all people from the first century even through the 21st century. John was the forerunner pointing the coming of Messiah. He did an outstanding job, and indeed his reward is great. So we go on to verse 35 of John 5. Speaking of John the Baptist, Jesus says, He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. So this is John the Baptist, likened to a light, a burning and shining one. And for a time, Christ's listeners were willing to rejoice in John's light. However, John's testimony is not just for a time or season. John's testimony is for eternity. It's recorded in God's Word, and God's Word abides forever. We all need to continue to believe what has been said and what has been written. Then in verse 36 of John 5, Jesus presents a greater witness than John the Baptist. And what is that? It's the works of Christ, especially the miraculous works of Christ. We should know what they are thus far. The changing of the water into wine at Cana of Galilee, the healing of the nobleman's son when Jesus had a return visit to Cana, even though the nobleman's son was in Capernaum, 65 kilometers away. The religious leadership elite of Jesus' day were looking for other kinds of messianic miracles. They had it in their minds, choreographed, well-designed, how Messiah should appear. For example, they were looking for the expulsion of the occupying Roman authorities. That would be a messianic miracle to them. Messiah comes, gets rid of the Romans, establishes the throne of David. Or they were waiting for the promise found in Isaiah that the lion will lie down with the lamb. So because they saw the Romans were still in power and lions were eating lambs, not sleeping with them, so they did not accept Christ's testimony of the miracles. You know, even a person rising from the dead would not persuade these people. That's how hard-hearted they were and how closed they are. You know, so many people are so closed and this is keeping them in bondage, in darkness and in death's grip. We need to pray that they will come into the light, open up and be saved. The heavenly father as witness, John five thirty-seven. the father in heaven who sent Christ has borne witness of him. We know God spoke out of heaven audibly, especially at the time Jesus was baptized, also on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is God's witness, so perfect. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. This is how God spoke. Yet, here it says that the people 
have neither heard his voice or seen his shape. They were not chosen to be witnesses. They were chosen to hear about the witnesses. And then our final verse, John 5, 38, the listeners do not accept God's testimony of Christ simply because God's word does not live or abide in them. Neither can they hear or see the Father. Though they have God's word as a witness, it does not live in them, so that's why they won't listen. Now our lesson is called Three of the Five Witnesses of Christ. And our lesson for life is this, to reject a testimony despite the best of witnesses is to court delusion, deception, and disaster. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.